Hey everyone, I'm Jose Hernandez and welcome to Behind the Backing Track for Outsider Music. Outside and Music is a media company and record label that connects jazz artists with their passionate fan bases. Please visit us at our website at outsideofmusic.com, where you can see our artists and their recent releases, our podcasts, video interviews, and links to get in touch with us. Behind the Backing Track is a monthly podcast produced alongside Over Here by Big Boss Nick Finzer and Extended Harmony with music journalist Dan Gross. Covering all walks of life within the music industry, this podcast highlights performers, composers, arrangers, copyists, engineers, hell, even stuff I'm not quite sure about myself, in an effort to showcase the diversity of the music business. So today I have Max Coburn, uh, Maxo, uh, here with me. Uh, how hey, are you, Max? I'm doing all right. It's a pretty muggy day out, and I'm just hanging out inside trying to stay cool. I feel that. I feel that. Um, so... First things first, uh, what do you consider your title slash job description to be? Well, that is a tough question, honestly, because it, it switches around for me a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm an electronic musician. I do work mainly as a composer. I write music for games, sometimes for animations, and I do my own solo music, which is mainly electronic-based, and I perform live. Ooh, I did not know about that live thing we're gonna have to get to that yeah <laughs> in, in time but um let's start with uh, your musical journey uh, i saw that you went well, to an art school and you I studied did. at uh sunny purchase yes um i want to hear about how i guess m- music at the higher education level uh prepared you for you know what you're doing now and what your greatest takeaways were from uh, sunny purchase well purchase was a cool school and um i met a lot of really cool people there this was kind of before they had a foothold in electronic music. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like, right after I graduated, there were a bunch of people who, like, got into purchase and started, like, making a lot of electronic music. That was like, oh, wow, <laughs> that would have been cool to have around <laughs> while I was there. <laughs> but That's actually um, what I was, I was, I was going to ask you. So yeah. you got a degree in studio composition, which mm-hmm. is a little different than, you know, your regular music composition degree. Yeah. Uh, so... Once, once you you know finish what you were saying, I will oh, yeah. ask you about like your coursework and your semester project stuff. So well, actually, like that ties in pretty uh, fluently to what I was going to talk about anyway. Because oh. um, yeah, awesome. The program that I was enrolled in is it's called Studio Composition. It's kind of more musician in the studio, songwriter kind of program. Okay. So I was in a program with a bunch of songwriters, a bunch of like singer songwriters, guitar players, piano players mostly solo acts with a few bands here and there but everyone's kind of doing their own writing producing their own music it wasn't focused so much on production because there's a studio production program there too okay but it ended up being like most songwriters so it was a pretty loose program because everyone's writing in a different style and Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of at least when i was there there are a bunch of teachers and professors that work in an array of different styles so it was a diverse experience which was cool but there wasn't a ton of electronic stuff so mm-hmm. i was kind of caught in this middle ground of like like everyone thought it was like cool and was into it but didn't really know the proper way to discuss everything or just like yeah. a relevant way to give me feedback on certain things yeah because i mean i I'd, I'd imagine that electronic stuff would lie 
exactly dead middle of composition and production. Mm-hmm. It's like so. I rely the least on performance out of anybody in my program, mm-hmm. or at least most people in my program, because like that that ended up being a challenge for putting together um, recitals towards the end of my stay there, because yeah. it was like, well, what do I do? Like, I can't just like sit in front of a piano and sing songs. Which is like, like granted, I wish I could. Like that's really cool. Like that's it's hard for me to like even sing and do something at the same time. <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was a bit of a challenge. Like working with a bunch of performers. And I'd played in bands in high school, but it was like, it's it's another thing entirely when it's like, okay, this is all your own music. You make everything from scratch. You work with other musicians and yeah, put together like an ensemble of some sort. That was a little difficult. <laughs> it wasn't I wouldn't say it was like a match so to speak for what mm-hmm. I'm doing but it did allow me to focus on what I wanted to do and get graded for it which was I think the most valuable thing I could have gotten from it oh yeah for sure I mean clearly you have grown a lot from then to now and I am able to hear that you make very small but like certain executive decisions in like mood changes and all these harmonic differences things and like the whole production in general just shifts like organically as a result you know yeah thanks man that's a a cool compliment um (laughs) like yeah it's um i found that most of the professors there would kind of Mm -hmm. either tell me to get weirder there was one professor in particular who was um who was really good he was a big electronic music fan he like when i auditioned he asked me about apex twin and square pusher and i was like oh wow like look at this guy and (laughs) he ended up being a really cool teacher he has his like toes in a lot of different water with genres and like connections Mm -hmm. he's just generally a cool guy and he's given me some really cool feedback just general songwriting feedback and less Mm. like on the technicality side yeah which is cool and i think that's like what my most valuable takeaway from that was is just the very general songwriting principles mm-hmm. that I've been working off of, just like ways to recontextualize melodies and like balancing song form and golden ratio and all that business. Yeah. So there's a lot of like scholarly like songwriting information <laughs> I picked up from that, which I think is like it seemed kind of funny at the time because all the examples they're using are like. 90% of the examples like oh listen to this Beatles track listen to this mm. other Beatles track it's just like a it's like a, nothing against the Beatles I think the Beatles are great but like that was like the program was based a lot around that too like everyone's kind of like hilarity and I think just like the years I've spent since then I mean I I kind of just like that's the thing is that like even going to a school for it it's like I'm at the end of the day I'm like pulling myself up in front of a computer and I'm just gonna get as intricate as I ever do and kind of do what I want to do which is how I started and that was something I was that was a tendency I built up before I was even in college just like the kind of sit in front of the computer until it elicits some kind of emotional response from you and then that's when you know it's like good and that's kind of this like pattern I've built up over the years where I need to get something out of it myself in order for me to feel good about it which does make commission work at this point in time a little more challenging because i have to Mm -hmm. kind of go against that a little bit because i'm working under other people and what they say and what they think is good i have to go along with pretty much in most in most cases 
I'm working a lot less with like my own standards and more with other people's standards and trying to like figure out how to maintain motivation through that, which is a challenge that I wasn't really prepared for. Like people warn me of that, but it's like, you don't really know until you're actually in the position and doing it mm-hmm. until you realize it's like, Oh geez, like this is not what I signed up for, I guess <laughs> <laughs> you find the good and the bad too. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, from then to now, you've been out of school for a bit and you've accumulated a, r- a resume of credits as being, you know, a video game music composer slash ranger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had a couple EP releases and yeah. at, at, like you were saying about commission work, how, how do you feel about like, you know, your musical journey from when you got out of you know college to right now? Like, where, where do you think you're headed? Well, it's tough to say because it's, it is really hard to predict the future with this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I know where I kind of want to head, and I feel like I've been acting more to get in that direction a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's um, The thing is, I didn't expect any of this to happen after school. Like, I was kind of just, I got nervous after I graduated. I'm like, oh, what do I do? Like, I got to figure out a way how to make a career, and I need to make money. I want to move out, and mm-hmm. spoiler alert, I still haven't moved out, <laughs> but... I feel that. <laughs> yeah, it, it is what it is. I live in New York. It is a little expensive around here too but um Mm -hmm. yeah so I didn't know what I was gonna do and I just kept posting stuff online and I got lucky I got really lucky that a few like people with like really cool positions and really cool audiences found Mm -hmm. what I was doing and this they found this through like um, I posted on this site called 8-bit collective during college that no Mm -hmm. longer exists but it was like a really cool like chiptune community sort of music sharing site not unlike soundcloud but it was just like completely focused on chiptune stuff so i was posting Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff there when i was in college and after after i graduated a few people got in touch with me saying hey like love what you've been posting lately i remember your stuff from 8-bit collective check out like it wasn't as cliche then but it was check out my soundcloud Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i did and (laughs) I, I was, I, there are a couple of friends of mine, um, one in particular, Bowen, I was like pretty taken aback, like, wow, you have like a lot of, you have a pretty big audience, um, mm-hmm. and you're getting a lot of attention for this really cool music, like really jazzy, really electronic stuff, like that's amazing, like, like yeah. I make music similar to this, and like, yeah, like we've bonded before, but like I had no idea, like your career has been taking off like this, so mm-hmm. at that point, I invested myself more fully in like, cultivating my soundcloud making like dancier electronic stuff with like the same jazz and like fusion trappings that i'm like accustomed to from like making weird like nerdy electronic music Mm -hmm. and it ended up working out in my favor in a really weird and unpredictable way because like i saw the attention my friends were getting like bowen like um lindsey low end i was like wow like like these dudes like are playing like really like playing festivals or like really big shows and they have mm-hmm. all these followers and like pe- like write-ups <laughs> so like this is like really intimidating like oh my god like actually yeah. to be a to have a name for myself doing solo music is something i didn't really like consider i've always figured i'd be like in an ensemble or i'd like make a duo with somebody or be in a band or something mm-hmm. like that so it's like that kind of opened up a door for me i'm like all right i'm gonna just really devote myself to this and go for it and for, like, a year or so, I didn't know what I was doing at all. I was, like, trying to work within the style, and I had no <laughs> clue how to do it. And 
in having no clue how to do it, I ended up making some really weird music, and that's when um, AG Cook found out about me, AG Cook from PC Music, mm-hmm. through somebody else, TLC, who also knew me from 8-Bit Collective, which I didn't realize. Amazing. So he, he sent, like, I literally posted a <laughs> snippet of something that I was working on on Instagram, and he's like, this is weird, this is wild, I'm gonna send this to my friend AG Cook. And then AG Cook gets in touch with me. I have no idea who PC Music is at that point. They're not, like, they don't have a big name for themselves or anything. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, do you want to release, like, this song that you posted a snippet of on Instagram, like, to PC Music? I'm like, well, I've never gotten an offer like this before, so, like, yeah, hell yeah. And then he showed me the rest of the catalog at that point, which was, like, almost all Hannah Diamond stuff, and I was, like, floored. So <laughs> from that point forward, it was like kind of surreal and cool and things kind of just like ricocheted off each other for a couple of years. And then after that, it kind of like, like it takes a lot of work to maintain hype and like relevance. And I didn't realize that. So mm-hmm. I didn't, I never got a manager. I never like pushed myself extremely hard because I wasn't sure about if I wanted to like be a touring musician or if I wanted to like focus because I was, I started doing live shows too, just like playing a keyboard with backing tracks, and we can get more into that later. That's about the same time I started doing live shows, and it worked out in my favor for a while, but it um, never like picked up steam, picked up steam, you know. Mm-hmm. So after a couple years, it kind of started tapering off a bit. I ended up focusing more on commission work now that I've gained an audience, now that I have like Twitter followers, SoundCloud followers, mm-hmm. somewhat of a name for myself even though it's not like it's not the name that can make my career necessarily but i ended mm. up making some connections and working more in commission work and i was like okay now that i have like a leg up in some sense i can like use these connections to like find what i really want to do and where my head has been at this whole time is like i really want to make game music so yeah it's been really fun like dabbling in that it's been really frustrating cuz there've been a lot of things i've never thought about like how frustrating it would be doing commission work like how frustrating it is like having to rely on making money and like Mm -hmm. the different scopes of projects you're going to work on and not being able to pretty much demand a bottom line from a lot of people i'm kind of still stuck in the position where it's like i am better off just taking every offer no matter what it is just to like get my name out there more make more connections to make amicable connections too and yeah that's been a challenge, but I am really happy. It's a, it's a really mixed bag for me because I am happy on one hand that like I'm able to make music for games, even if they're not like super big games. And that is changing slowly. I hope, and I, from what I've seen, there have been good things and less than prestigious things, mm-hmm. and everything in between, pretty much. So I'm happy that I'm able to do this at all. But I do wish that it could be more reliable. And I do feel mixed about what I want to do in the future in regards to playing shows and keeping up, like, my producer original, like, SoundCloud name. Yeah. Because that's a little bit up in the air now for everyone, it seems like. (laughs) (laughs) So I was actually going to ask you, uh, how is uh, working on music as a – or how is working on music for mobile games? Because I've seen you've done uh, a few – in terms of uh, Sky Chasers, uh, yeah. I Want to Be the Cat, I think, uh, Combo Critters, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I Want to so, Be the Cat is um, is a Steam game, but it's like it's okay. the same kind of idea. It wasn't too much of a different process. Mm-hmm. 
the thing with mobile games is that it's really it really just depends on the develop the developer you're working with especially now like mm-hmm. as we're getting along like mobile games are getting more and more fleshed out like mm-hmm. a lot of mobile games are have more content than like some console games it's kind of grown in a way i didn't expect it's usually just been exclusively casual market and yeah. i guess we're starting to see that change a bit now so i have worked on some really silly stuff i've worked on some like really like one track done kind of stuff too it really just depends okay. on the scope of the project um okay most of what i've done has been retro styled in that there's mm-hmm. background music for different environments it's the style I'm working in, like, sounds with which I'm working are more granular, more synthesis style, mm-hmm. more, like, retro styled, if not completely authentically retro. Yeah. So, a lot of what I've been doing has been kind of throwback music, which I'm really comfortable working within. Like, that's something I've been trying to emulate for my entire musical career. It's like, oh, I've gotten, I've been into video game music forever, so being able to emulate early video game music is something that like that's kind of just been my goal so i haven't minded it so much i think it's really cool that i'm able to do that yeah some games are better than others like or have been better experiences than others like there's one developer that i've worked with almost exclusively positively and that's some lucky cat who did sky chasers Mm -hmm. combo critters um they did a grumpy cat game too which i scored which is funny um oh that's fun yeah yeah, they've been great, really easy to work with, but I've had some really weird experiences working with mobile mm. games too. And that I feel like this can be a situation in any kind of game development thing. It just depends on who you're working with, really, and I don't think it's in like inherent to mobile games. But yeah. I have worked on a couple projects where I got either 100% or 75% done with my work, and then they end up um, switching management. And then new management decides we're just going to go with stock music. Ooh. So I've made, I've actually made money from that. I've like gotten the pay that I was, um, that was agreed upon. And mm-hmm. then after the fact, it's been like, okay, so the game is out. We didn't say anything, but we switched management and we're using stock music and we paid you, but now we have your music that we kind of want to use for something else. And Ooh, that's, that's happened. That's... Like that similar situation has happened like twice, not exactly the same, but it's like, Mm-hmm. things like that have happened to me before and it's kind of hard to predict when something like that's going to go down mm-hmm. so i'd say like it's less about mobile games and more about like if you're working on a game and this is kind of just turning into like general advice for anybody who's gonna like go into this but um mm-hmm. make sure you have some kind of connection to the developers that you're working with because when you're working as, like, hired gun and you're only in touch with, like, one, maybe two people, I guess it can depend, too. But it's, like, if you're only in touch with a few people in the process and not, like, as many as you can, this stuff can happen and it can happen, like, quickly. And you probably won't even notice when it does happen until somebody, like, mentions it to you. And that's kind of what happened with yeah. both of these situations. Oh, and... Man. Like, I like mobile games, and I think it's fun, but Mm -hmm. in general, and this is something that differentiates mobile games from other games, at least just generally speaking, it seems like games for a console or games that are being developed for, like, a platform generally have longer lifespans. The developers feel less pressure to churn out, like, 
two or three games a year and it's like mm-hmm. everyone's more focused on a singular project and stuff like that is generally better to work with because you're you have more time to focus on it you have more time to envelop yourself in the game everyone's working mm-hmm. together like yeah. i've like i've only been in situations like that a couple times and then with game development and how like labor intensive it is it's hard to find teams that are like super devoted and have that much time and money to spend on like game unless they know it's going to be successful yeah so i guess mobile games market if anything is a little bit more like rapid fire you kind of just have to continually put out stuff to stay relevant and Mm -hmm. that can be good and that can be bad and the drawbacks are a little frustrating (laughs) i 100 percent totally understand um so I guess going off on a different track now. Yeah. Um, I've seen that you've done a lot, and I mean a lot of remixes, and <laughs> yeah, like cook mix, bug mix, paint yeah. mix. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I appreciate the naming convention, but how did that exactly start? Well, so I I found myself getting like at, right after the whole like SoundCloud business happened. I found myself getting a lot of requests, like, oh, could you remix this? Could you remix this for me? Like, oh, I'm doing this thing. Like, you want to remix this track for it? And I was getting a lot of these requests on, like, how do I... I have a tendency to, like, when I'm making anything, like, any kind of project, I like it to have a theme of some Mm -hmm. sort. And that helps keep me motivated, even if it's just, like, a naming convention, like the remixes. And the first, like, batch of remixes, the first, like, what is it, 25 or something remixes I did were based on um, copy abilities from um, Kirby Superstar. <laughs> and I was like, this is funny. Like, I wonder if I'll make it to the end. And then I made it to the end. Like, oh, geez, I need a new naming convention. And that's like two years later. So now I'm doing Pokemon types. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'll do after this, but I think remixes have slowed down a little bit. I super don't mind. There was a while where it was like really crowded. I was just like under a ton of pressure all the time because mm. I'm just like saying yes to everything now I'm like it's slowed down a little bit I've been turning a couple down where it's like I, I'm too busy I need to like focus on myself a little bit mm. but um yeah like remixes and, and I enjoy doing remixes too and the reason I have so many done is because it's a lot easier for me at this point to work with something mm. that's already that already exists rather than having to make something from scratch and as soon as I started making a name for myself, my ability to make things from scratch and, like, the efficiency around that has plummeted. I've been, like, super, super picky about it. I've been super, like, mm. self-conscious. And it's, like, when you have, like, all this weight behind... I'm saying all this weight as if, like, I'm, like, super famous or something. But, like, like even a little bit of pressure, if you have any kind of notoriety mm. or anybody knows who you are, and you know that people are waiting for releases, it's a lot more pressure and it's really hard to have that not turn into freedom seeming like really oppressive i guess Mm -hmm. because it's like it feels like every decision you make is going to be judged by like a panel of people i'm not sure if that's like the best way to describe it but it's like when you have all these options when you're starting from scratch it's like really really intimidating like getting anything started and feeling good about it to the point where your motivation stays in check long enough for Mm -hmm. you to be able to finish it. So the thing about remixes is that 
I don't have that initial hurdle. It's just like, here's something that already exists. Just do what you will with it. And that's kind of just turned me into asking just for vocal stems and essentially rewriting the arrangement, mm-hmm. which is a fun way for me to do remixes. It, It's like, I don't ever have to worry too much about what should the next section be or anything like that or how it's, the song is laid there. out. Exactly. I'm kind of just yeah. filling in blanks. I guess it's good and bad because it's gotten me more into the habit of relying on that. So I mm-hmm. feel like being creative from scratch has just gotten harder and harder. But on the other hand, having limitations does really help me be creative. Yeah, I would 100% agree that when you're arranging something, it just becomes much easier to just take things apart and then put them back together. It just like the yeah. pieces are already made. You don't have to spend like a million hours actually building the pieces exactly and it, like it's like granting you perspective that you'd have to work your ass off to get for your own music if even getting it at all mm-hmm. and that's another reason why i like when it's not frustrating that's another reason when i like commission yeah. music because i'm working with guidelines i'm working like i'm writing something to an environment or to like a scene or something like that it's not just make something from scratch have it be good that's it like that's that's the most intimidating kind of work for me i 100 percent feel that <laughs> yeah man it's uh, freedom is daunting <laughs> <laughs> so the the quinta quint uh, quintessential there we go uh the quintessential maxo logo which is like five blocks stacked on each <laughs> other it, it it looks like a segment of a cubert stage i'm assuming yes <laughs> okay um that wasn't necessarily intentional um okay i can actually explain to you the story of, of how that logo came to be and go for it <laughs> i was trying to like okay r- again right after the whole like right after i was like starting to set up my soundcloud and like trying to like make a logo i'm like all right i gotta like mm-hmm. do this thing you know i don't have a logo or anything so then i yeah. got this program and this is gonna turn out to turn into a shout out but like i got this program called hexels and it's just like a hexagon based like art program and it's like it's all just like grids of hexagons or triangles it's just like they're laid out kind of like that i don't know how to describe it in like artistic terms but they do have a mode that's all cubes so i made like five cubes and then i zoomed in and then put the same five cubes in the middle and i'm like okay it looks like an m that's pretty good i'll use that as my logo (laughs) and then it kind of just like stuck and it caught on i didn't know if it was going to be any permanent thing or not but yeah, I mean, I guess, like, people are into it. People say they like it a lot. It's funny, because I kind of just, like, farted it out one day. But, like, <laughs> using a program that was, like, that's what you do in the program, essentially. It wasn't like, oh, I should just make cubes. I should put cubes together. It was like, oh, that that works. That looks cool. Like, <laughs> and here it is. <laughs> but I do like it. I like the way it turned out. And I think I kind of just got lucky. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's iconic. I think there's 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 just like something behind it, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad you get that from it. I'm I I was actually speaking to my dad about this the other day, and he's like, "Yeah, it's like it's really iconic. It's like you don't realize it's an M at first, and then like later you realize like, oh wait, that's an M. It's like one of those things like the <laughs> FedEx logo, and I'm like, all right, like, yeah, I guess, yeah, <laughs> like that's not how I was thinking about it, but that's really cool that there's that like. It has that delayed response kind of vibe to it. Like, all right. Yeah. So it turned out in my favor, and that's cool. So the the Chord Slayer website, let's, let's talk about that for a bit. Because okay, yeah. the, the entire EP, it just 
has cords in the top left corner. <laughs> um, and just how was it making that entire release with a tangible meta element of that being there constantly? Because, I mean, like, people are listening to the release with a sense of coherency, like, listening mm. between tracks and, like, right. thematic material. But there's there's always a roadmap. Even if people mm-hmm. don't understand how the roadmap works, mm-hmm. th- it's always there. And, like, h- how was it writing Chord Slayer anyway? Um, making the actual EP was kind of just, like, something I started working on around the same time as I started, like, rebranding and all that business. Mm-hmm. And I was slowly, like, putting together tracks for it. I'm like, okay, this, this, this is, like, as soon as I released, like, Snow Other, I'm like, okay, this is weird, but this is kind of, like, I want this to be on the EP, and I want the EP to build off this kind of sound. Mm-hmm. And as I moved along, I ended up actually switching DAWs in the middle of the process, um to from logic to ableton so half of the ep Mm. is done in logic and the other half is done in ableton nice i mean wow okay that's weird because it's like (laughs) okay (laughs) just the workflow is completely different yeah it is it's like um there's a lot that was the same but there was a lot that was different and it took me a couple months Mm -hmm. to kind of get the hang of ableton and there there's still some stuff where it's like i'll listen back now to like some parts of that ep and be like wow like i can tell i was just starting to get my footing in ableton like, there's some stuff where it's, like, I wouldn't have done it this way. Like, I would have cleaned that up a lot, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm listening back to it now and, like, being kind of critical of my process when I listen to it. And I guess that's unavoidable. So I had a bunch of these tracks. It turned out to be, like, five or six. So I'm like, okay, I'm still at this point in time accustomed to, like, releasing albums in, like, 2014. I'm like, okay, like, all my releases are, like, albums unless it's a special occasion but I'm, like, I was starting to see more and more of my peers, like, release EPs for everything, like, four or five tracks, three tracks mm-hmm. sometimes, two tracks even, I think. Like, just, like, smaller releases. I'm, like, you know what? I don't need to make this a whole album. So at that point, I started, like, shopping around for ways to release it. Mm-hmm. Um, at, This is around the same time I was starting to, like, become friends with, like, the Anamanaguchi people. And oh, I know cool. yeah. they were um friends... And they're friends with um the people who made I'm not sure if you know this, but they made um they have like a they had a musical group called George and Jonathan. It was just really cool, like bubbly, poppy, like sorta chip tune music. And okay. it was like really good and really cool. And they had this website for their third album. They had like MIDI running into the site and all the MIDI data for like oh. a bunch of the tracks is just like floating in space as the p- track plays. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> really cool site. So like it was getting a lot of attention, more attention than it seemed like they'd gotten for anything else they've ever done. I kind of fell in love with that site, and I knew, like, I knew them, like, I'd met George and Jonathan at that point, we were, mm-hmm. we were friends, and I knew the Anamanaguchi people, and I knew they were starting, like, this, like, label, like, this kind of, like, media, this net label weird thing that never really, like, took off, took off, but is still around, mm-hmm. and they've, like, toyed around with and they've made this label yeah. called NHX. And okay. they didn't have a name for it at that point. They were still, like, they're still shopping around for a name. And I was talking to them about potentially releasing this. And they're like, yeah, let's, like, let's do this. And I mentioned, like, you know, the George and Jonathan site's really cool. It'd be cool to have, like, a website kind of mm-hmm. similar to that for Chord Slayer. We are all into the idea. So we started working with it. And realizing that, like, the idea I had in my head of having a different, like, animation for every song... Because in the George and Jonathan site, they have the floating MIDI, but they also have 
this MIDI data going to this other animation where these dogs pop out of the floor. It, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'll like send it to you or something, and maybe we could like okay. link to it. But um, it's pretty great. I definitely recommend anyone to check it out. It's a fantastic album, fantastic website. So it's like, okay, they have two different algorithms they're using for like tracks, and that's really cool. I wonder if it would be possible to have like a different one for all six tracks on my EP. Mm-hmm. And we started like running with that. I drew out a bunch of like ideas for each track. I think I mm-hmm. still have those somewhere. But we didn't end up going with it because it was going to be way, way, way too much work. It was already yeah. a lot of work to get what we had. So eventually, like, the more we started discussing this, the more like unrealistic we figured that was going to be. And then I roped in my friend um, Jeremy. He's this good guy. He uh, worked at Google at the time. I'd met with him a couple times briefly, and we'd like discuss music. There were sort of like brief like advice, composition lessons kind of thing and so we yeah. like started to know each other a little bit better and he one day he just like sent me the stuff he does like animation and stuff and like all this like really cool 3d stuff and i was really floored and really blown away by it like this dude's amazing like no wonder he works at google like holy shit like <laughs> this dude's for real and so we ended up roping jeremy into the project and i think him and one of the other web designers neil who um put together the api that george and jonathan used for their site Mm -hmm. they had this idea like okay like we can make it work with a spreadsheet i know i had the idea of having chords in the corner the whole time i was like okay i want to do this like i have like i'm like chord guy now like this is me this is my brand now i guess (laughs) so like i'm gonna run with that like i bet this will be cool like and this was actually around the same time as like i don't know if you know those youtube videos where it's like the uh harmonizator videos where it's like the dude has like all these conversations or just like videos and he writes melodies over what people are oh, saying transcriptions yes yeah yeah, yes. yeah. And it has the chords yeah. in the corner and it's like right as these were coming out like th- i already had this idea and i'm not saying like mm-hmm. obviously didn't steal it from me because i hadn't mm-hmm. put out the idea at all but, like i was thinking about this and then these videos came out and like joking like wow like yeah this is gonna be my ep guys uh <laughs> and then it turned out like yeah that i'm actually doing chords in the corner coincidentally <laughs> and so essentially we, like working with the same kind of like stuff for each track was what we decided on and what that meant for me is that i needed to go back and since i had cross-platform projects for this whole ep mm-hmm. like half were in logic half were in ableton and half of yeah. the each of those tracks were audio and not midi i was like okay i have midi data we can work with but it's not really enough and i would need to make midi data from scratch if we want to do the drums and I was like, this is a pain in the ass. All I'm trying to do is get chords. <laughs> so what I ended up doing was making, well, the site ended up working off of spreadsheets, which mm-hmm. was, I think, Jeremy's idea. And then I ended up making these spreadsheets for each song with timestamps for each chord, um, colors for the background, like a bunch of other information that the site would be like feeding off of alongside mm-hmm. the tracks. And they're all, like, I think, like, 400 to 500 cells long. Oh, my God. And this is me just, yeah. I mean, it's exactly as labor-intensive as it sounds, pretty much. Just, like, me going through each track, stopping, looking at timestamps for each chord, writing down the chord name. And keep in mind, I was going back, like, three or four times to change chord names for what made sense. Like, it was a gigantic, like, nightmare. It took me months to do everything. 
and the site ended up working off of these spreadsheets that I made mm-hmm. with all the chord names and the colors and everything. And Jeremy and Neil pretty much put together like the groundwork with the site and and the way to texture the logo. Actually, I mean, I might as well mention this for now since we're discussing the whole chords layer process, but um, Jeremy is mm-hmm. extra special cool because he actually, for the album art, he um took me to his office in Google and he actually put together a replica of the logo with um foam board, which I still have in my house. Oh. It's like kind of big, but it's like a big Maxwell logo and it has like the crack in it. And it's got all these like funny, like nice. fuzzy things coming out of it. That wasn't all digital. Like he yeah. actually, we made this thing and like hung it from the air and took pictures of it. And then after that, <laughs> um, he went and like digitally manipulated it to make the album art. But he actually like built the thing from scratch, which is wild. Like that's dude's a wizard. <laughs> that's yeah. that's wild. One hundred percent. Super cool. Um, like this little like Hexels like five second like project turned into something like really amazing. <laughs> So we ended up using the logo for the site and just texturing it with a bunch of different things alongside the background colors and the chord names. And it turned out, like, mm-hmm. looking really amazing. And everyone, like, chipped in a bit. Like, I definitely can't take credit for, like, most of that site. But, like, I did put in the work for the spreadsheets. And, yeah, it just turned out to be really incredible. Like, kind of setting yeah. a stressful benchmark for future releases. <laughs> but like wow like this is pretty cool the website generated a lot of hype and for the next year or so like things were going pretty swimmingly like i was pretty busy i was playing shows i traveled a lot like i went to japan later that year which was really cool for the first time mm. yeah and yeah. things just like kind of sprung out from there for a little while and then they calmed down for a bit. I started, like, struggling with, like, a little bit of mental health stuff. It ended up being really stressful, mm. like, maintaining this, like, name and, like, making these decisions that I felt were, like, going to be really impactful. It's a little bit stressful when you start getting a lot of attention because at that point, like, I'd never come close to receiving anything like that before, so I didn't know how yeah. to contextualize that, really. So Chord Slayer is really cool. It turned out awesome. But in some ways, because of how cool it was, it kind of set me up for stuff I wasn't really ready for. Yeah, I I did a thing uh, around last year, uh, the month of February. I mm. or wrote, found found different performers and recorded a small two to three minute piece every single day for like a month. Oh man, for four Oof. weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's to do that every day and stick with it is really hard. Like I've tried doing that yeah, before, and I, I never made four it the weeks. whole way through like respect that's amazing yeah, and, and like it, it was weird because like after i had finished it had like just received an immense amount of like uh what was it yeah just an immense amount that's of awesome. attention and i was just so confused <laughs> because it was just like I, I i like i had never been on that level of like uh, yeah like you said relevance yeah. and it was just really confusing and i had to i had to t- like s- sit one out Oh, spring sure. break was the very next week and i just slept through. yo i yeah i feel that it's it's weird because like on one hand it's like really gratifying it's like wow amazing like something i did has an impact on people like that's really cool yeah but it, for the same reason it's like oh what i'm doing is important oh i gotta like start thinking about this like five <laughs> times as hard like oh my god and yeah. for someone I'm, I'm already thinking about this stuff like at that point i was already thinking about the stuff like really hard mm-hmm. and like really focusing on it but now 
it's like as if all these like pitfalls opened up in front of me and it's just like yeah well now i gotta think extra hard and if i fuck something up that's my name on the line and it's like oh god dude that's <laughs> yeah. and that was enough pressure i guess it's enough pressure to push a lot of people over the edge and i just like in terms of like being comfortable with like being creative and having a healthy relationship with your creativity is that it's really hard to maintain that through like all these kind of jarring life changes. So I definitely feel you, especially when you're not expecting something like that. It's just like, it comes out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and then you're kind of just like knocked on your ass. Like, wow, I did not expect this whatsoever. I'm not prepared for this. And yeah, like you got to take some time off like that. That's, that's the ideal, honestly, and there have been times in the last few years mm-hmm. where, like, I've also, like, taken a little time off. I've never felt great about it, especially doing commission work. It's like, I have shit to do. Like, I gotta make money. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying to make this my yeah. profession. And it's like, I can't feel good about taking a certain amount of time off because, like, this is time I could be spend, spending, like, working on something. Like, I don't have another job. Like, yeah. this is kind of just what I do to make money right now. And that's not sustainable. <laughs> At least for now. I feel that. <laughs> At least for now. Like, ideally in the future, yeah. this will be fully sustainable. I'll, like, get to do enough big-name things that I have a steady flow of work that I can support myself on. That's what I want mm-hmm. out of this situation, I think. Speaking back to future goals and stuff, like, I think I just want to be doing what I'm doing and able to support myself doing it and not have to worry too hard about, like, running out of money or running out of opportunities or... That's the thing, and that's another reason why I kind of fell off of the SoundCloud scene a bit, is that it's just to have to continually stay relevant on that kind of scale and that kind of level is extremely stressful and yeah. can be really toxic because it, I, I was like pressuring myself to like do all these things I didn't really want to do just because I thought like I, I should be doing it to like keep up a name for myself. Like, being friends with certain people even, like, going to certain events, agreeing to certain shows I wasn't really feeling, just stuff to, mm-hmm. like, just because just I thought it would be better for me in the long run, career-wise. I and it's just that. really tough, because you don't know. And I think it's hard when you start, like, getting attention and you start relying on what other people think. It's harder to trust yourself with things and your own mm-hmm. decisions, because you're in a territory that you're not familiar with. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's... <laughs> 100%. I agree with all yeah, of Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine, like, having experienced what you did, even with the, just that, it's, like, that all all these questions mm-hmm. just come flooding to you, like, that, when something like that happens. It's like, oh, geez, like, now that I am, like... Now that I, like, mean something to anyone, it's, like, yikes, I gotta, like... Yeah completely like rebrand myself recurate myself like mm-hmm. it, it was interesting it like the experience itself was interesting in one word but it was there was a lot going yeah. on and i needed to take rein mm-hmm. of all of it and it was took a lot of time to yeah figure absolutely. That out. But, and, it, and it does and it can take years i mean i'm still figuring it out like it's just and i'm not even like in the eye of the storm anymore i'm trying to kind of just like still like it's left me feeling like kind of ambiguous about everything just having experienced Mm -hmm. all that to begin with yeah so let's switch gears again and um 
about a year ago, you released several tracks uh, messing with the Pokemon Black and White 2 sound font. Uh, and what, what were some of the limitations yes, and workarounds yes, yes. that you had to deal with? And what were some cool things that you appreciated w about the sound font? I mean, a big reason I'm asking this is because I've spent, you know, the past four years when I'm not working on, you know, the big artistic music and just other stuff in general. Like, that's what I like to dabble in and that's what I like to mess around with and see what I can do with it. Um, Hey man, like you and me both. <laughs> well, um, those tracks, like those were actually some of the more like, how do I say this? The word for it. Um, it's like these mm -hmm. are those tracks. The Pokemon tracks in particular are me very much mm. trying to achieve a certain style of like the writers who write for that game. Um, yes, Goichinoze in particular is like a huge influence for me. So I was like all right, this is what I want to do. Like, I have this sound mm -hmm. font. I just found it, like, on some form somewhere. And um, I, I, like, link to it and all the stuff. I forget exactly what it is. But, um, yeah, so I found the sound font, and, like, these are my favorite Pokemon games. So it's, like, I am, like, super overjoyed to, like, have access to the sound font yeah. and actually like, be able to do stuff in this style. Um, about, like, a year or so before I was involved in a compilation that was like all um ruby and sapphire mm -hmm. sound fun so it was all game boy advance stuff so i worked with that and i had a blast doing it i was like this is really cool i love like working this style but um unlike what i had done to that point with sound fonts like i have this whole series called level music which is all like done in logic well except for the last few they were all done in logic so this mm -hmm. was like before any of the soundcloud stuff and um they're all using sound fonts with some exceptions with like drum kits and stuff because I didn't really know fully what I was doing at that point. I just knew mm -hmm. how to like make music on a keyboard and logic. And then I had access to these sound fonts on top of it. So I was kind of just like making video game music the way I would. But what was fun about approaching the um, Pokemon stuff was that not only am I like subverting what I was used to at that point, which is just like making big original like start from scratch yeah like type independent music and like not only am i like put placing limitations on that i'm also placing limitations on my like typical sound font formula by trying mm -hmm. to write in a specific style and i wasn't sticking to any of the voice limitations that the console has like i wasn't like sticking to eight 16 voices i forget exactly what ds has but um i was just working with these sounds and trying to like capture the style and that's what's been fun about working on those songs. And um, I do have a couple in the works that I've just, like, been too busy to finish up. And I know it's, like, it's been <laughs> over a year, Max. Like, well, but, like... And, like, here I am with, like, two more kind of just, like, sitting, like, halfway done. And it's fun, and I want to have more time to do that. I actually started streaming some of the production process for it, which was also fun. But mm. I, I just haven't had the time lately. Um... Yeah, I really, really love doing that, especially with that sound font, especially for those games. It's been, like, such a blast. And I think once, like, I think once, like, the new Pokemon games come out, like, this year and next year, I'm going to be, my head's going to be more in that space and I'm going to be, like, falling yeah. back into those projects again. I'm getting to, like, make, um, and this is another <laughs> thing I'm ba basing off of Pokemon types, like, jeez, listen to me. Like, getting to make a theme for each type was really cool because it's, like, it kind of feels to me like I'm extending mm -hmm. the current black and white soundtracks 
Like, as if I'm imagining it in my head, as if I was tasked to, like, make <laughs> Black and White 3 or something. I'm like, yo, and that gets me really excited and really hyped, and it really channels that it... Because I'm, I'm definitely channeling that excitement I get from, like, playing and experiencing mm-hmm. these games for the first time through the music. And it's been cool because the style and writing in that style and kind of just, like, aiming for those sweet spots has really brought me back to what it felt like to experience these games for the first time. And that's something that's unique to yeah. this project yeah. over so this of this kind of ties in stuff. with your, your own writing philosophy. But as I've been able to, like, you know, listen and dissect over the years... Um, a lot of your music involves having, you know, melodies that move in a singable fashion, uh, accompanied with a chaotic, mm-hmm. like a good, a good chaotic rhythmic accompaniment, uh, with <laughs> a bunch of harmonic changes yeah. that sometimes, you know, have no overlap. There's no like common tone, so it's just completely like recontextualizing what the melody is under that different, you know, moment. How did mm-hmm. how did you develop this kind of uh, style and what were some inspirations that you you nailed? I mean, like you you said, Goichi Nose was one of those inspirations for you wanting to nail this style down. But what were some others? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, this is a this is an interesting question because I feel like I can trace this back in a lot of different ways. I I think like it, it's funny because when a lot of people ask me this question, they're like, "Well, how do you think of these chords on the spot? Like, what what, what are you thinking mm-hmm. about, like, music theory when you write? And I'm like, <laughs> the answer is I'm not thinking about music theory at all when I write. Like, I'm using music theory to go back after the fact. I'm like, oh, so this is what I was doing. Okay. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and not really aware of it at the time. I'm kind of just like, where this comes from is I've just built up, like, this tendency mm-hmm. to rely on my ear only for stuff like this. And, like, just, like, completely, like, from ground-up context, like, I grew up listening to a ton mm. of, like, jazz fusion and prog rock. Um, that's what my dad was, like, listening to a lot when I was young. And he got me into all this, like, different stuff. And ended up being a huge, like, Herbie Hancock fan, yes. a huge, like, Chick Corea fan. Like, all these, like, amazing recordings mm. that I'm still, I'll still listen to to this day and just be like, what? Jesus Christ, what the hell? Like, I'll listen to, like, Chameleon yeah. off of Headhunters, or I'll listen to, like, the entire Thrust album, or I'll listen to, like, My Spanish Heart by Chikoria. These are, like, all extremely important, like, recordings to me, and I, like, I've been listening to them for, like, a really long time. But um, when I got into video game music, like, I was into Pokemon, not because of the music, obviously, I was, like, <laughs> I was 10. Like, it's po- Pokemon, it's like, yo... <laughs> It was the best thing in the world. Like I was, I got super excited and into Pokemon, and I'm still. Mm-hmm. It still carries through to this day. Like I still am like obsessed. I love it. I'm keeping up with all the news about at least yeah. the main series stuff at this point. Like I'm keeping up with everything, and um, because of my interest in those games growing up, the music has stuck with me, partially for a sentimental reason and partially for just mm-hmm. like there's a lot there. There's a lot there compositionally with these games, like Gold and Silver, really, like, those are the first games to uh, mm-hmm. really blow me away musically for um, maybe ever. I want to say maybe they were the first games that I got really yeah. into the music for, but I, I I'd have that. to think I mean, back a little bit further to, like, really first, know that. first game was Silver. It's hard to say. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's Silver, too. 
Yeah, man. I remember. I remember. Um, also, like, I was into it, like up, like up until like, like I was into it before then too. Like, I had Pokemon yeah. Stadium. I had like Pokemon Snap, Red and Blue, and I just had Red and Yellow, I think. Um, but then like, I, I remember playing like the original um, Japanese version through a ROM before it came out in the U.S. Because I was like so eager, and that I learned how to emulate games like when I was like ten or something because I just like couldn't <laughs> deal with having to wait that long for these games. So I, I played a little bit of that and I got accustomed to it and I noticed the difference of the soundtrack. This is of course if if you know your oh, facts yeah. about like yeah. Pokemon music or stuff, which is like like that was the first those were the first mm-hmm. games Goichi Noze was involved in. And there's also a funny piece of trivia, which I'll just, like, throw out there really quick because it's not going to take too much time. But um, the first Pokemon pinball game was scored by Goichi Noze as well. And there's a track in that game that is from Gold and Silver. Oh. And this is before Gold and Silver was released, too. So, yeah, that's just, like, a funny little, like, bit of trivia, which I didn't realize at the time either. This is only after I went back. I'm like, wait a I'm minute. I'm definitely going to have like, to listen back to that really? now. Really? So. And then I found it. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> Oh, I'll, I'll find the track for you and send it to you later. But, um, it's, uh, yeah, I was like, that was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, what the hell? I would have been so excited if I was 10. Like, Jesus Christ. But, um, yeah, so on top of Pokemon, around the same time period, like around like early 2000s, this is like just as I'm getting into mm-hmm. like video games for myself. Like, I'd played with my cousin for like years before that, but like I had an N64 now. I'm like, all right, like now I'm starting yeah. to get into games like for me. And um, I got Kirby 64. And that soundtrack definitely blew me away. It was incredible. That was my first, like, real Kirby game. And the Kirby soundtracks are probably mostly to blame for um, the way my composition <laughs> process works. It's funny because I actually just put out this, um, the, yeah. s- the Smash yeah. Melee theme remix. And I was using... Um, the core gadget thing for a switch which is really cool and i really like working with that it's a little bit of a pain in the ass to like transfer it to a computer i'm not gonna Mm -hmm. get into that now but um it was fun doing this remix because the person responsible for the melee soundtrack Mm -hmm. and even the first smash bros soundtrack is one of the kirby composers uh hirokazu ando and like he's like listening to those soundtracks and just like the menu music and all that stuff like listening to like his um arrangements and everything like you could definitely draw a parallel to the stuff i'm doing with that he's just filling up space Mm -hmm. like constantly with these chord runs and like jumping inversions all over the place filling in every little nook and cranny with something and keeping the melody hummable enough that like it kind of flies under your radar a bit until you listen a little (laughs) bit closer like that kind of like style is something that's really been driving me for a while probably before i even realized it like and then i kind of just got into kirby games from there like because i love kirby and like the music really just kept me in there and so kirby and pokemon are like both huge worlds of influence for me there's a whole like array of nintendo games that i've based my sound off of that and that combined Mm -hmm. with my love of like jazz fusion prog rock and all that business i think (laughs) <laughs> that's as simple as i can make the answer for this because like i think this just this concept of mm-hmm. filling in space and filling up space that's like more of a deep like mental thing because i have this tendency mm-hmm. like not just in music too like 
sometimes in my spare time I'll like make a spreadsheet. Not not the kind with the timestamps because like at this point like that was so much work. Like I never want to do that again. But but like the kind where I'm like, okay, I wanna arrange things. I wanna make chord charts for nice. things that aren't mine. <laughs> and like draw parallels and make connections and like do all these things like that. I like organizing yeah. things in a controlled space. So obviously that like that that um love translated itself into music over the years and now i'm kind of doing the same thing where i'm like filling in space and i've just grown a taste for it and at this point i'm just trying to appease my taste in that sense where it's like i'm filling in space because i think that's yeah. what sounds best for what i'm doing and not for any other reason pretty much it's just like what i've grown accustomed to and what i've grown comfortable with and what i've just like grown to enjoy Mm. in terms of listening to yeah. it even like i to this day like i don't i like it's hard for me to put anything out that i don't yes. like want to listen to myself which is like it sounds mm. like i don't know that's a scary thing for some people because it's really hard to achieve that point and there was a while for like five years at least where i couldn't mm. achieve that for myself really it was like a close approximation yeah. of something i wanted to listen to kind of but then eventually, like, I started getting good enough at it where I was like, wow, I like actually enjoy listening to this. And that's a good and a bad thing, especially mm -hmm. with all the pressures we'd already discussed. Like, that can be a real tough boss oh, yeah. to work for, so to speak, yourself. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, all these... And that's why I keep my head in video game music, too, because I that's the thing that like really pushed me over the edge and like made me want to pursue yeah like electronic music making music sequenced or stuff like that it's just it's all fed from this desire to make something i want to listen to and also be able to like take advantage of like how i feel certain environments sound or just like like i was saying with like mm -hmm. writing for certain like pokemon types even it like it really helps me be creative and that's always helped me be creative just like from scratch that's yeah, like i always mean my head's been i personally have a lot of you know uh, let me let me try rephrasing what i just said um but oh for sure i should probably be doing that a little bit more <laughs> i've been like no, ranting no. on every single no, question all of all of this inspiration just lies in a lot of latin music a lot of stuff but also vi video game music and you know what with what yeah. you said uh goichi no se a lot of uematsu um mm -hmm. oh yeah, yeah of course and i mm -hmm. no, i didn't have a playstation or anything growing up so i my, my head yeah. wasn't in the final like the final fantasy world yeah. until like later on at which point i'm like oh wow like uematsu is like incredible <laughs> like where 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 have i been Mm -hmm. like i didn't have a super nintendo either so i was completely like out of oh. having any final fantasy <laughs> games pretty much until later when it was like okay well now i'm gonna just play the final fantasy 6 rom and have a, yeah have a good time get blown away like that was like when college started yeah. I'm like oh wow <laughs> like what have i been missing? so um i think that's all i've had for you yeah mm -hmm. but before we go because like I, I caught something, like, while you were discussing yeah. that. It was, like, you mentioned Latin music, and I actually... That is something I didn't mention, and I know I mentioned Chick Corea to some extent, but that's, like, mm -hmm. not as traditionally Latin music. That seems, yeah. like, more just, like, jazz fusion, more, like, boundary-pushing kind of stuff. But, um, 
like my head was in that too and for a while i was playing with um i don't know if you know like the o'farrell family I like chico o'farrell arturo o'farrell um chico o'farrell is like a famous like okay. latin jazz musician from like like mid-century really incredible like piano mm. player band leader i think and yeah his son arturo o'farrell um is really involved with like jazz at lincoln center has worked a lot with okay. like Wynton marsalis and like all these people and they and his kids are about my age and we actually played a lot of music together when i was in high school so i had my head in latin jazz for a while there and i was turned on to a few like yeah. really cool artists that way yeah. like when i was growing up so i feel like my like my head's been at that too and then and now that we're talking about filling up space too which is another reason why I wanted to bring mm -hmm. this up before we wrap this up, is that um, there's so much space filling in Latin yes. jazz piano playing 100%. in particular. It's like really dynamic. It's all over the place, and not in a way that like upsets me. It's not like I'm listening to like Ingwe Malmsteen or something. <laughs> like, and, and I can still get down with yeah. Ingwe Malmsteen. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's like it's not like that. It's like it's tasteful. Mm -hmm. It's all thought out, and it's like aggressive, and it's maximalist but it's like not sacrificing yeah. anything to yeah. be that way in my opinion so that's like something that like really gripped me about that too and i feel like the same tendencies and the same like taste has brought me to that as it has brought me to kirby music as it has brought me to like covering smash tunes <laughs> like it's all just like good creative ways to fill up space yeah. that's <laughs> that's Again, what it comes like down my to my whole philosophy me, is just making something that uh how do i explain this w with being concise because if i if i'm not concise this is going to take like 20 minutes but it my <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the struggle it's it's just kind of like how do i write something that both affects the listener while still being as harmonically complex as possible. Yeah, it's like how can you um, how can you disguise all these like radical ideas in the <laughs> least radical package? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good way of putting it. And that's yeah, and that's honestly why like melody is important. Mm -hmm. Like if you keep the melody simple and do all the ridiculous shit under the melody, then you can kind of trick someone into like oh like i got you or it's like you know i'm sure we've all been in the position where we've heard a song we're like oh that's so catchy that's awesome and then like a week later you're like wait that's in seven <laughs> like like what yeah. the hell and then you go back you're like that's genius like what i had no idea and that's like that's something really cool and i feel like disguising these things and like making things subtle is kind of just like that's just another challenge for yourself. And I feel like having challenges and having limitations yeah, kind of go sure. hand in hand. So it's been cool getting to achieve that ideal in music. And it's, I feel like that's my main motivation at this point is to like make something that everyone likes that I've also <laughs> coded to be something that I like. Yeah, that, that is, that, that's been my goal too, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> Benefits and drawbacks <laughs> included. Thank that you is for coming on ideal, and talking. I think. It was fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
but I do have a show in New York at Transpicos on July 13th, and that's going to be a Hatsune Miku pre-party, actually, which is going to be fun. It's going to be cool. Um, mm-hmm. It's like one of it's like maybe the third show I've played in New York this year. I haven't been playing out a whole ton, so it should be fun. Um, going to do some new stuff. Not really sure how, how my set's going to turn out just yet, but um, yeah. Like that's uh, something that's coming up in terms of releases. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always working on stuff, so just keep yeah. your eyes peeled <laughs> and your ears, I guess, if if you want. 